You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. Curable Beef Jerky wants to thank everyone for the overwhelming response to our favorite bag of beef jerky, Huck and Fod. Have you tried it? Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com and you'll see Cherry Smoked Chipotle, Cranberry Smokehouse Turkey, Aloha Pineapple, and yes, our favorite and your favorite, Huck and Fod. Go to Steersnacks.com. This is Women to Watch. I don't think you can truly change for the better in a lasting, meaningful way unless it is driven by self-acceptance. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams? What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead. And by shining a light on those doing it well today, my hope is that more women will find their own voice. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco, and it's so great to be here with all of you. Before we get started, I want to remind you to stay with us during the breaks, where you'll hear from our exclusive watch team of women leaders, bringing you the latest news from their industries and organizations. And we continue to be so grateful for their support and the valuable information they bring to the show each and every week. If you're a listener and you're interested in being a part of the show, feel free to visit our website at womentowatch.net and download our partner page to learn more. And don't forget to download the podcast as well and sign up for our newsletter so you're always in the loop on what's happening with the show. So now I'm very honored and thrilled to welcome to the show Elizabeth Bramson Boudreau. Elizabeth is the CEO and publisher of MIT Technology Review. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sue. It's a pleasure. It's it's great to have you. And you're joining us from, am I right, Massachusetts? Yeah, that's right. I am uh, in just outside Boston in a town called Newton, Massachusetts. Okay. So it must be cold up there. We're getting ready for some more snow. Is it coming to you? Yeah, it's cold. 
It yeah. should be. And um, I think uh, later today or tomorrow, uh, it's cold, but it's uh, it's sunny. So good, good, good. So I, um, as I always do, I want to start with your background and your upbringing and give our listeners um, a sense of where you came from. And I know that you grew up in Tampa Bay, Florida, uh, the youngest of three with two older brothers. Tell me first, um, what was the community like there that you grew up in? So uh, it's nice to look back. Um, and Tampa, Florida in the 1970s and early 80s uh, was a community, community that was growing really quickly. Um, so there was a lot of development and um, in population coming from you know, various other parts of the country. Uh, and so there was a lot of change around um, and a lot of sort of, uh, I think, excitement around what Tampa Bay area was going to become. Um, and for for me as a as a little kid, it was a place where we were outside all year all year round, swimming all year round. A um, little bit of a kind of wild, um, you know, run through the woods and you know, um, you know, chase after uh, each other and um, spending all of our time kind of feet dirty and um, and grubby um, as a little kid. And that was a nice way. Um, that was a nice way to come of age. Yeah, you know, it's so different from from how kids are raised today. And I always think about how do we survive that kind of leave in the morning, come home for dinner upbringing? I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, it is. It's true. I mean, the three of us, my brothers and me, we would we would really just sort of head off into the neighborhood and um, and show up, I think, when we got hungry or hurt or whatever. Um, and then, <laughs> you know, we'll go back out again. Uh, so yeah, so we learned to swim at a very, very young age. I think that was, you know, an, an absolute, you know, must, you know, not not negotiable. Um, but I think once we knew how to swim, my parents kind of thought, all right, off they go, chase them out. Off they go. Yeah. So tell me about mm -hmm. your relationship with your brothers. You were the baby. Were they um, mm -hmm. trying to get rid of you? Or were they watching out for you? Or maybe a combination of both. It was a little bit of both. It was a little bit of both. Yeah, I mean, there was there were certainly um, I can certainly remember situations where uh, they one of them wanted to get rid of me and the other one wanted to protect me and you know and mm -hmm. stick stuck up stick up for me. Um, and I think that's kind of a dynamic that endured for a lot of years. Yeah. So I know your dad was a doctor and uh, mom was home with you in those early years. Uh, what, tell me about their parenting style and what kind of their um, their messaging was for you as a young girl growing up in the 80s. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, I think there was a, a lot of free range parenting. I think that 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 was sort of the way that um, we were raised. So what I described as running out, out of the house, you know, with the T-shirt and shorts on and maybe not shoes uh, for the better part of a, of a day of a full you know weekend day or something. That was kind of the way they just generally parented. I think they kind of figured out figured we'll take care of one another and ourselves and um and so, and, and that was, I think, their their operating, you know, um, principle, uh, even through, you know, even through high school, when there began to be, you know, perhaps more grown up things to kind of navigate, like, how did we want to interact with peers or, or what did we want to do um, after high school? Or, you know, what kind of studies and, and pursuits did we want? I think they, they definitely sort of left us to it. I think um, they had opinions, but it wasn't, 
it wasn't something I felt a lot of, um, I didn't feel a lot of, uh, I didn't feel the strength of that opinion, uh, that the opinions were very strong. Um, and they didn't, I didn't feel like they were weighing mm. on me. And, and I think that's generally, I think the way my peers were. Um, although as I got a little bit older, like sort of in high school, I definitely saw other friends of mine whose parents were imposing more on them about the need for certain kinds of, uh, a certain, to, to be a certain way or to, you know, adhere to certain norms and get certain kinds of grades, go off to the certain kinds of colleges, uh, you know, date certain kinds of boys, that sort of thing. Um, I definitely didn't feel that from my parents yeah. um, in, in that way. Yeah. Interestingly, though, you know, you shared with me that, that getting good grades and being a good student was really important to you. So where did that, that desire come from? I don't know. I mean, I think I had sort of the, um, I think I, I wanted, uh, I wanted the, the praise and the, and the notice, uh, from teachers and, um, people at school. I think I sort of, as I got into late into high school, I also wanted the recognition from my peers, my, from my classmates that I was a good student or that I was good at this or that, or someone to um, keep an eye on. Um, you know, if, uh, if you're trying to compete for something, keep an eye on her because she's, she's a strong contender as well. Um, I think I started to feel a little bit of that. Not again, not really from my parents. So they, they were very happy about it. Uh, and they certainly were complimentary, but it just, I didn't get the sense it was that important to them. Um, I actually think it was more important to me. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, if you're just tuning in, I'm joined by Elizabeth Bramson Boudreau. Elizabeth is the CEO and publisher of MIT Technology Review. Um, I want to share this quote because I think it says a lot about you. Somehow I understood growing up that I did not have to know exactly what I wanted to do. And there's so much pressure on kids. You know, that's really what they're asked over and over. You know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, your career, you know, was not necessarily linear, which I think is always a great example, especially for women, um, who feel they have to figure it out. H how did you know that? How did you know you didn't need to know? I, it's almost that I, I sort of, uh, I needed it not to be, I needed my career not to have to be linear. Uh, I'm not sure if I put too many double negatives in there, but I, I needed I needed there to be <laughs> another path that wasn't linear because I the only thing I could see linearly for me, I'm daughter of a of a doctor, had you know many uh, friends whose parents one of their parents usually father was a lawyer. Um, the those were really the the paths that I understood. So if you don't want to be be one of those two, what else is there? I just didn't have a I didn't, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of exposure to say entrepreneurs. I didn't have, there was a, a large swaths of the economy that I didn't have any comprehension of. Um, and so when I realized that I didn't want one of those two paths, um, I spent a lot of time trying to sort of prove out that I didn't actually deeply want to be a doctor or deeply want to be a lawyer. Um, because I think I felt so much like I probably should be careful about closing one of those doors. But once I, I, I recognized that it, that wasn't going to be my path, I thought if I can just keep doing things I like and keep figuring out how I need to 
what I how and what I need to learn in order to be more in you know to 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 gain um, uh, to be more necessary to my company and my employer. Surely, at the end of that, what, you know, the destination will be something that's um, that's a career. Uh, if I can keep doing that, if I can sort of keep being, if I can keep pivoting, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. Then I should be able to make a life, um, and and that's what I that's what I did. And it took a long time before I said this is what I want. And then once I, yeah, I knew you, what I wanted, it, you know, of course it. Yeah. We're going to talk more about that. We're going to go into our first break. Stay with us for our sports watch with Jen Welter. And we'll be right back. Women to watch sports watch. Hey everybody. This is Dr. Jen Welter and you are listening to sports watch. Too many times people look at the highlight reel of your life and they don't see what happened in the dark. You're going to make it to the bright life. You're going to have to take some L's. And as a matter of fact, doesn't, doesn't life start with L? So that means you have to get through it to get to it. As, as a person who played sports, like I have won championships, but the Super Bowl that I will never forget was the first one I ever played in. And we took the L. And you know what? I learned a whole lot about it. I learned I never wanted another team to catch me off guard. I knew I wanted to be the most prepared athlete that I could be. And I hadn't felt that way going into that game. And, you know, I wonder sometimes if we'd have won that first Super Bowl, if I would have had the passion and perseverance to go on to win four or to play long enough to win two gold medals. So let's just put it really simply. Life, it starts with L. You've got to get through them to get to it, right? Follow me and all my adventures, or you could say misadventures, on Welter47 on Instagram or at jwelter47 on Twitter. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. To the show, I'm joined by Elizabeth Bramson Boudreau. This evening, she's the CEO and publisher of MIT Technology Review, and we will at some point be talking um, about the publication. I have a lot of questions about that. Um, I wanted to I wanted to talk about your mom for a moment. Um, I know that you know, as moms often do, they spend the early years raising their children, and they always have the kind of their own aspirations and desires. Um, in life, and sometimes they're met, and sometimes they're not. Um, tell me about your relationship with her, and how um, her desire to make her mark influenced some of your own choices in life. It's a it's a great topic, Sue. Um, so my mother. So mind you, I was you know I was uh, coming of age in the mid to late seventies, or growing. I was you know I, I was a kid. I was a little kid. Um, and so that's a time in, in our culture where there was a lot going on around women's liberation and um, the Equal Rights Amendment and all of this stuff was, was happening in the political world. And my mother was very interested and involved in those things, um, in the League of Women Voters and um, advocating for the ERA. And I think that because of that, um, I was paying a lot of attention. Of course, I was just very, very much at her hip in those years. Um, and so I was, I was hearing a lot about equality and about um, the things that I could accomplish. I can remember b- a book that I had, which was 
you know, showed all the things a woman, careers a woman could have, not just a, a flight attendant, but also the pilot. There was, you know, I remember Golda Meir was in there. You know, of course, she was running Israel or had been running Israel. So I, mean, I remember this book was about, um, about all the, the, the possibilities of what my life could be. And my mother, I think, was in this moment of societal change. And so she would kind of gotten married thinking she was going to be a mother. Um, and then society's changing. And she was kind of like, oh, actually, I think I may need to, I may need slash want to do more. Um, so, so I grew up and entered adolescence and, of course, you know, academically wanted people to be impressed by me. Um, as I described it earlier, uh, and felt, I think I carried that kind of into my own ambitions, um, a sense of, of what she was trying to accomplish. It kind of felt like, oh, I need to, that was implanted in me as, as, as a motivation I needed to have about finding my mark in the, in, in the world. Yeah. I, I love that you have memories of, you know, however you got the messaging books, something your mother said, something a teacher says about, <clears throat> The fact that you don't have to aim for what traditionally were, were women's roles, and, and that's what's so great about today, the conversations we're having that inspire young girls. Um, how important do you think it is to have a grown-up in your life that's guiding and asking you the, the probing questions to help you figure it out? Because you, you didn't necessarily have that, but you did. You did figure it out and you landed, you know, quite a big job. Yeah. I mean, I think that I I understood from her that that I would, you know, and also, under, you know, paying attention to what was going on in the in the broader world, getting an education and understanding what the that I needed to work. I needed to have a career. I wasn't, you know, becoming a wife and a mother wasn't going to um wasn't going to be my life. That wasn't going to be a life that I, that I could recognize for myself. Um, but I, as I got into my career, early years in my career, it was always the other women, the more accomplished, you know, more senior women who I paid the greatest attention to, you know, first to see, is there someone here I want to be like? And if there wasn't, that told me something about the place I was working. Uh, or if there was, then I wanted to get closer and I wanted to understand her. Um, and I was very great. I was very fortunate to be able to have uh, some pretty um, influential role models in, in some vital years. And I was trying to actually figure out which of these paths I wanted to commit to career wise. Um, I had a, a, a woman CEO it, pretty early in my career. I was probably in my late 20s. Um, and she was an, and is an impressive person that, um, helped me both to see my own worth and to imagine myself in her seat. Can you, you know, my next question was, you know, I always like to ask about best advice. Was there, do you remember her vividly saying something to you that struck a chord as far as advice for your, your career? I remember um, it's a little bit specialized, but I'll tell you, I mean, I do remember when I um, had my first child, I was working for her and, um, and I had a big job for, her, you know, it's part of her team. And I remember she gave me some pretty helpful advice about not pulling back too far. You might want to pull back don't pull back too far to make it hard for yourself later on when you 
when the, the baby's a little bit older and you want more in your career again. Um, but, you know, I think we've all seen stories and read articles and things about, about women who, when their children are very little babies, make kind of permanent decisions about getting off the, getting off the career path. And then regret it when the baby goes, you know, maybe when the kid starts school and you realize, actually, I don't, they don't need me in the same way. Um, So she said, don't make a too strong of a pullback. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's great advice because we don't always foresee that we're going to have time. We're going to all of a sudden we have some time in the day and we think, how do we want to fill it? Right. Um, We're going to go into our next break. Stay with us for our Military Watch with Carol Eggert, and I'll be back with Elizabeth Bramson Boudreaux. Now, the Women to Watch, Military Watch. Hi, I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military Affairs at Comcast NBC Universal. Did you know that military veterans are more likely to have a college level education than non veterans? The trend for service members to continue their formal education has grown significantly over the decades. From the launch of the GI Bill after World War II to today's programs offered by government, nonprofit, and commercial organizations, there are many ways for service members to earn post secondary certificates and degrees. In 2008, the You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments. Get started at chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Results may vary. See chime.com for details. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com disclosures for details. Financial crisis and the passage of the post-9-11 GI Bill influenced scores of veterans to fill the classrooms of colleges and universities across the country. Institutions knew they needed to take different approaches to ensure these unique students were successful. And this is when Student Veterans of America made its mark as a partner with over 1,500 campuses, helping military-connected students achieve their greatest potential. As the nation's leading student veteran advocacy organization, Student Veterans of America is a catalyst for student veteran success. Comcast NBC Universal is a proud supporter of Student Veterans of America, and we were honored to receive the organization's Partner of the Year Award this year at their recent conference in Orlando. So to learn more about the organization's impact on the college experience for student veterans, go to studentveterans.org. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. 
Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm joined by Elizabeth Bramson Boudreau, the CEO and publisher of MIT Technology Review. Um, just before the break, Elizabeth, we were talking about the importance of, you know, if we're working and then we're moms, kind of not making that decision um, that will never go back. Um, and I want to let you finish uh, the, the thought you had before we went into that break. Yeah, I mean, it's just that I, I certainly have seen in the, the years I've been a parent and paying attention to this, which is now, you know, almost 17 of year, years of that, uh, that when uh, someone is, you know, expecting and the baby's really little, they sort of imagine this, that this feeling, this need to be close to the baby, the child will always be so. And of course, the child grows up, goes to school, has a has a you know begins to build a life away from the house and you know the family and um, and when you make a really really big reversal and or a real big shift in life um, at the early years, at the early you know certainly sometimes the early months, um, it can be really difficult to go back to the career. Um, and so anyway, so I, my advice is always, you know, I mirror the advice I got, which is, you know, just don't make a permanent decision right away. Wait and mm. see how you feel. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So you are a mom of two daughters. Mm -hmm. You have two daughters, mm -hmm. um, 17 and 14. Se I think. Almost, se almost 17, almost 14. Yeah. Okay. Tell me in this crazy world that we live in with, you know, here you are, you know, um, immersed in technology. And um, two questions I have for you, actually. You know, you're on the cusp of, of, of what is developing and, and innovating on a regular basis. Do you ever worry for your girls about the pace of technology and how things, how it is changing our world so swiftly? And if so, what is it that most concerns you for them? Yeah. I, yes, I do worry. I worry not just for them, by the way, but also for myself. Um, I mean, and, and that's the constant um, engagement with the device and the phone um, and social platforms. Um, so I certainly see it in them. They're both on TikTok. Uh, they, you know, have dabbled in, in um, other platforms as well. Um, but I don't think they've had found as much interest in, in those other platforms as they have in TikTok. Um, and, you know, I do worry about that constant, ever-changing, you know, the algorithm that's driving them to more and more content down a particular path or direction that they may find them, themselves curious. Um, uh, I worry about it, as I say, for myself. I think that, you know, my attention span is not what I wish it was. And uh, I think a lot of it has to do with the way I interact with digital uh, digital media, social media, et cetera. So, um, you know, I think I think I share the same. I think most most uh, parents and uh, today are worried about this. Um, I also think that I know more about the the trade-offs that the big social media platform companies are making, um, trade-offs to push growth above the sorts of values that I might wish to imbue my, 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 uh, my family with. Um, I also mm -hmm. think that at this time, you know, we've been in this weird pandemic lockdown release, lockdown release, you know, sort of uh, back and forth at ages that my children were, 
you know, expanding their lives beyond our family, you know, they're teenagers. And mm -hmm. so that kind of need to yeah. sort of get more space, create some distance, pull away, um, was once, you know, you might drive, drop them off at the mall and let them walk around and hang out with friends and, I don't know, buy nail polish and earrings or whatever. And we didn't have that wasn't <laughs> available to them for, for, for quite a lot of time. And, and so social yeah. media and, and their devices became a way for them to have some entertainment beyond um, staring at their mother and father and animals um, who are very entertaining, but even so. Um, so, so it's been really hard. <laughs> it's, it's, been, it's been really hard. It continues to be really hard. I think they're both pretty aware of this as, a, you know, as, as something they need to be careful about. Um, and, um, you know, I've, I've got lots of confidence in, the, in their ability to, um, to pull away, but, uh, but it is something I, I am concerned about. And I think you, you multiply it across society. It, it, it is this more atomized and sort of distant, um, life than, than what I described in my, my own upbringing when I would go outside and run around all day and come home sweaty and hungry. It's a very different life. Yeah. So different. Yes. So different. Um, Tell me quickly, we just have two minutes before the next break. How did the uh, opportunity to, to lead MIT Technology Review present itself to you? So I, um, I had been working in media in London um, my, with my family, um, and I had been working for The Economist there. We moved back to the Boston area where we had been um, previous, about nine years previously, um, we moved back and I pursued an opportunity to join MIT Tech Review um, as chief operating officer at first. And then about a year and a half later, um, I became the chief executive officer. Um, and the reason for that was that I saw that it was a, a undis sort of underexploited, undiscovered, really major asset and opportunity in media. And... Um, and I thought, I know, I know that there's a lot more here than has been uh, pursued and, and, you know, developed. And I want to be a part of that. Yeah. It's, it was fascinating to me to read that it was first published in 1899. Is that correct? Eight, 1899. That's right. We have the first issues in the office. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, we're going to go into our last break. And, and when we come back, I want to talk about your role as a leader there and, and what you're most excited about. Stay with us for our marketing watch and our health watch. And I'll be back with Elizabeth Bramson Boudreau, the CEO and publisher of MIT Technology Review. Now, the women to watch. Marketing Watch. How to get buy-in and launch your creative ideas. Hi there, my name is Diana Barnes, or DB as most people call me, and I'm the Chief Brand Officer and Creative Director at Munchkin, the world's most loved baby lifestyle brand. Today I want to talk to you about how to get your leadership team to buy into your creative ideas. Brand building is essential to creating a business that stands the test of time. It's also one of the hardest aspects of business to measure and quantify. So how do you convince your leadership team to greenlight a project or a campaign that doesn't directly drive sales? Here are my three tips. First, think like your CEO. Imagine you're the CEO of your company. Ask yourself how your project supports the business. Your answer does not need to be tied to sales to be important. Does your request help position the company as a leader in its industry? Maybe it improves customer experience or boosts brand loyalty. 
Each of these contributes to the success of a business. Number two, timing is everything. Does your project require $50,000 that isn't in your budget? Part of creating a successful pitch is developing a successful plan and that includes budgeting. If your idea is costly, find out when your company begins budget planning and arrange to make your pitch during the beginning of the process. And last, be flexible. My experience dealing with nuns and rock stars well prepared me for working with CEOs. My best advice is to know your facts, especially the math, have the answers and expect the unexpected. Think about what in your plan can change to meet the requests of your leadership team without sacrificing your goal. Be flexible and be willing to work with your boss to give them skin in the game and a stake in your idea. I use these three tactics to get buy-in from my colleagues on Munchkin's executive team and our board of directors to launch Stroller Coaster, a parenting podcast. We've become trailblazers within our category, and the show was ranked among the top 2% of shows within Apple Podcast Kids and Parenting category in our debut season. You can listen to it at strollercoaster.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. See you next time. Now, the women to watch, Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. It's January, and for some, that means dry January, giving your body a rest after eating and drinking too much through the holidays. Recently on Your Video Doctor, my guest was Dr. Simona Rossi, a liver disease specialist at Einstein Healthcare Network. The U.S. Department of Agriculture Dietary Guidelines recommend that if a person drinks alcohol, they should consume no more than two servings per day for males, no more than one serving per day for females, and no alcohol during pregnancy because women metabolize alcohol more slowly. What's a standard serving? A 12-ounce can of beer, 5 ounces of wine, or 1.5 ounces of hard alcohol, about 40% proof. Yes, beer is considered alcohol. It is not safer than wine or hard liquor. Binge drinking, especially harmful. You may be surprised to hear that's four drinks for a woman or five drinks for a man in one sitting. That amount on one occasion can overwhelm your body trying to metabolize the alcohol into a less toxic byproduct, as you can tell by the hangover the next morning. Most people realize excess alcohol can cause liver damage, like fatty liver, and alcohol is the most common cause of cirrhosis. But it also bumps the risk for hypertension, atrial fibrillation, stroke, osteoporosis, and multiple cancers, esophagus, stomach, colon, pancreas. Women who never smoked but had one drink a day have increased risk of breast cancer, risk even higher if you're also using postmenopausal hormones. There is no safe amount of alcohol during pregnancy. The developing baby can have abnormal facial features, low birth weight, poor coordination, and learning disabilities for life, along with heart, kidney, and bone problems. And think hard before you drink and drive. You can still be impaired even if you're below the legal limit. Just one or two drinks when you're tired, on certain medicines, distracted, and with a car accident, you'll be lucky if no one suffers injury or death, but you could still end up in jail. Good news, lots of alcohol-free bars are popping up. Socialize while you drink zero proof. Hear the entire show on YourRadioDoctor.com. In February, Your Radio Doctor will have a new home on Saturdays at 5 in the evening. Be sure to listen. Now, more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. 
Welcome back. I'm joined by Elizabeth Brampson Boudreau, and um, I want to talk about MIT Technology Review. And and I always say this is not necessarily the most interesting question, but I am curious what a typical day is like for you um, leading uh, a magazine like this with the enormous amount of content. So tell me what, you know, how does your day go? So uh, talking about MIT Technology Review is my favorite topic um, of all time, and I will have to keep <laughs> I will have to keep my responses succinct because uh, I can go on. So a typical day um, now in in this uh, the year 2022 is um, early 2022. So uh, when I'm um, staying out of the office mostly is is on Zoom. And I am in meetings mm-hmm. pretty much from the beginning of the day to the end of the day with various members of the team. Um, it might be the leadership team, so the folks who are running all the different parts of the business. So that's advertising and marketing and editorial and the the, the you know the developers and the, the technologists, um, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, or it might be a conversation with one of those. Um, team leaders about some challenges or opportunities or, or changes that they are driving within their own piece of the business might be engaging with an advertiser who is um, interested in um, getting their message in front of the audience that we have, which is tech, not you know, very knowledgeable tech um, tech decision makers. Um, or it might be uh, you know someone at MIT. So we're independent from MIT. Uh, but owned by MIT, and we carry the name, or the you know the three letters, and the the responsibility and the and the privilege that that brings with us brings with it uh, is important to us. And so I'm 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 always you know paying keeping one eye on what's happening at MIT and what I need to let them know about so that they're not surprised and that they continue to feel um, proud of us and um, and feel that we burnish their brand um, and vice versa. So, um, so that's kind of the way it goes. There's a, there's a lot of, um, a lot of conversation, a lot of talking and, um, and trying to manage the managers, um, which is, uh, which is what I like. Good. You know, it's a bi, it's a bi-monthly and I, I, I can't imagine you would ever suffer from subscribers. Has it gone up or down with uh, the pandemic the last couple of years? Yeah. So, um, so it, so the, the magazine, the print magazine comes out six times a year. So bi-monthly. Um, but every day, the preponderance of our content is is delivered on you know on a daily basis on the on the, in digital form on the site through newsletters. Um, you know, we publish and push through social media channels, um, and, you know, such as Twitter and Facebook, etc. Um, so most of what we do actually is um, you know it's obviously all packaged into subscriptions. Um, and we have uh, been growing the number of subscribers to to our um, our, our you know our, our published products. We also have podcasts, um, and uh, yeah, and and you know, like many um, companies of our sort, like many media companies, we experienced a particular spike in audience at the beginning of the pandemic. So, if you look at our traffic, for instance, in the month of April 2020, right when everything was kind of hitting the fan, then you see mm-hmm. a huge spike in our traffic, just massive, about five or five to eight times the normal month. Um, 
And that's not just us. That's that's you know everybody was 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 all over the internet. You probably remember you're constantly up up you know refreshing the New York Times page that showed the count and when was this uh, when was this thing coming to the U.S. and then when it got to the U.S. when was it coming to your city? All of that uh, and what in the world was it yeah. going to mean? So we experienced that as well. Uh, and then it leveled off um, as it did for others. Uh, and what we have is a, a pretty steady core of people who follow us for the latest in technology and, and science uh, developments, um, what's coming out of the laboratories and into the marketplace. Yeah. Do you ha- tell me what's your ratio of, of women and men um, working with you at the company? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's about it's about ooh, I, I once knew this for sure. It's about 60 to 65 percent women. Oh, um, OK. And it, right. And um and that's pretty much across all levels of the company. Um, in the in the senior leadership, we used to have a. It, it's it, I think it's now about. Ooh, I think we're now about fifty fifty, mm-hmm. or maybe even slightly more men than women in senior leadership because we've made some we've had some changes and folks leave and so on. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, it's a it, there are more women at. Uh, MIT Technology Review working than there are men, and that's just—I'm um, not exactly sure I can—I can take credit for that, but—but um, but it can't hurt to have a yeah. woman at the top. Yeah, um, we have one minute left. Can you leave our listeners, particularly if there's a woman listening, um, to your story, and she has similar aspirations? Um, what's a what's something? A mo- I always like to ask about a mantra. You know, what is your go-to um, phrase that just gets you through? those stressful times? I'm not sure I have a mantra, to be perfectly honest, and perhaps I could use one. Um, but I think for, in terms of career advice, <laughs> for someone who might, I think the really important thing is to, is to, don't, is to not get disrupted, to stay, um, to don't get stubborn about what it is that you like and what it is you want to do. Um, always be thinking about what the company and the market or the industry or whatever you're in cares about um, and make sure you stay, you pivot and continue to stay relevant because, you know, one person usually can't um, convince a company that her skills are the ones that the, com- that the company should continue to invest in. You may have to, you may have to go where the, the market and the, and the company wants you to go in order to, to really uh, stay, you know, to continue to advance. Um, yeah. So don't get disrupted. Yeah, that's great advice. Great advice. Um, I, I thank you so much, Elizabeth, for taking time to, to share your story and be on the show. Yeah, it's a genuine pleasure. Thank you, Sue. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Stay tuned next week for my interview with Alana Golan of Golan Ventures. Have a great week and stay well. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHD or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.